This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. This was the very first song I ever had to write. It's funny how it's come around. This, this year it's five years old, so it's the first song I've released. I think it's pretty fitting now. <laughs> I wrote this, I was living in New South Wales and I was studying music. And I owe so much to New South Wales. I was actually born there, but I was raised in the Territory. And I went back there to study music and write beautiful songs with the lovely Jean and Jeffries. Um, but I was very homesick. I was very cold. <laughs> I, missed, I missed being warm. I missed amazing things about the Territory. I missed these amazing lightning storms that take over the whole sky. I missed having kakadu on my doorstep and being surrounded by this beautiful rich history and culture of the place. I miss seeing the sun set over the water at the beach, at Mindle Beach. And there's so many things I love about so many different places all over Australia, but the Territory is really the place that calls me home. And, and now now we're, we're stuck up here. There's nothing wrong with that. And we're stuck in paradise and I love my home. And I hope you get to love your home too if you're struggling This is calling me home. I want to see the golden sun sink into the water. The technicolor final cuts another day. She shoved what's on her shore with her warm and fiery glow. I want to see a million stars come out to play I long to see the painted hands on the red rock To feel the sacred ground underneath my feet See a storm light up the sky Rain comes to end the dry That's the place where my heart to be It's a shout It's a whisper It sounds like my favourite song It's the wind It's the storm bird Saying I've been gone too long It's everything That I've been missing Calling me
Hello and welcome. This is the Territory Story podcast and that was Melanie Gray accompanied by Max Fredericks on guitar with her song Calling Me Home. This is Peter Gowers and joining me as always is my co-host. A very privileged Leon Loganathan. It sort of felt a bit weird there, didn't it, Leon? We were, we were an exclusive VIP audience. I just, I'm pinching myself, Pete, to tell you the truth. <laughs> So normally at this stage we'd have a bit of a chit-chat, but there's not much point today as our special guest has uh, already appeared before us. Uh, Melanie Gray, welcome to the Territory Story podcast. Hi, thank you so much. It's such an honour to be here with you guys. I think the honour is all ours, Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, and um, if, if you're from Darwin or from anywhere up north, I think there's got to be something in that song that we can all sort of grab onto as, as being uh, part of home. Exactly. Especially, uh, especially, you know, this time, uh, you know, what everyone's going through right now with uh, all the social isolation and everything else. It's just a, it's just a tremendous uh, connection, Melanie, that uh, you're making with everyone through that song, I think. Oh, thank you. It's definitely, it was the first song I had to write because I was, I was studying music in New South Wales and just, homesick the whole time and you suddenly realize what what your home looks like what your home sounds like the places you miss the smells the feels and it was the first song to hit the page and get recorded and released <laughs> <laughs> well um let me uh let me just tell the audience uh, or our listeners how uh, you came about to be on this podcast melanie because I mean, one of the things about this podcast, I mean, for Peter and, and me, it's, it's just been quite a magical experience. We've been doing this for just over a year. Uh, we started off not really knowing how to even record a podcast, and that's, that's more me than Pete. Um, and, and just th throughout this whole journey that, uh, that we've gone through, we've met a lot of people along the way. And uh, one person that we met uh, who was on this podcast and who had a really lovely story was Rose Felice. And she was on, on here a few months ago and she spoke about Malaysian Airlines and, and her time abroad before she came to Darwin. And it was, a great, it was a great podcast and, you know, we got that out there. And then she contacted me a little while later and she said, Leon, I've got someone you should really get on your podcast. And I said, who? And she said, Melanie Gray. And I said, I don't know who that is. So uh, as I do when these things happen, I was on, at my keyboard, I jumped on and Googled Melanie Gray and, and then I had to sort of fine tune that to Darwin because there's a few out there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few. Um, and went straight to your video uh, of, I, 
I'm pretty sure it was, it was the song you just sang, um, oh. Calling Me Home. And Melanie, I was just blown away. I was oh, thinking I to myself, so I, I didn't think Darwin actually produced this sort of quality of singer. <laughs> so um, welcome to the podcast, Melanie. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much. And I should introduce this person um, sitting here with me. This is Max Fredericks. He's like a big brother to me up here in the music world. And we love gigging and singing together. And I've roped him into helping me play some songs for you today. So, <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us as well, Max. No worries at all. Thank you, Mel. <laughs> And thank you guys for having us. Yeah. So um, I, I think I'm right in saying to you, I, I hate getting my facts wrong, but that, that was the song that you co-wrote with Gina Jeffries, Mel? Yeah. So I, um, I studied music in New South Wales. I had to leave the Territory and, and go pursue that. And then I had, after my degree, I was very cold, very homesick. And after my degree, I was like, I just wanted to get back to the Territory. But a window opened up where I could go and spend some time on the Central Coast in New South Wales and, and be mentored and write songs with Gina Jeffries. So I spent an extra two years, which was, I was torn because it was a great mm. opportunity. And I, but the whole time my intention was writing a group of quality songs that the Territory would welcome me back with that would celebrate the place that I'm from. And I think everyone that knows me personally know that I'm always advocating it. I think everyone around Australia that I've ever met just goes, Melanie just likes talking about the Territory. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of wanted to stick true to that, the passion that I have for that. And um, we wrote about an album's worth of songs and I'm slowly putting them out there year by year and eventually we'll work towards the album. So, Melanie, tell us, tell us your territory story. You're obviously born and bred here by the sound of it. Well, actually, I feel like a bit of a phony in some ways. I was born <laughs> in New South Wales. Right. But I was raised up here in the territory. So I think when I was about nine our family did a drive around Australia and we have a lot of relatives up here so my family that run Panama Constructions and a few other companies like that um, we've got about a hundred relatives <laughs> so <laughs> we came to visit the Darwin family and um, fell in love with the place and I think we were just a little bit over being cold as well and just enjoyed mm. suddenly being immersed in this culture I don't think we stopped for the whole time we, we were here for a couple of weeks I think we didn't stop it was one adventure after the other and it was fishing it was camping it was four-wheel driving it was you know the wharf it I mean Darwin wasn't anything what it is now, but there was it was still raw and really rugged and there was something adventurous about the spirit of the place. So a year later, we the whole family moved up. I think I was about 11, 10 or 11 years old when we came to Darwin and I've grown up here ever since. Wow. So whereabouts in New South Wales were you born? I was born in Sydney. Okay. <laughs> but a big I, country town. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Sydney. Um, but we pro I probably remember most of my childhood, we were on the south coast, so okay. towards Narrabominary, which is bordering the Southern Highlands area, which is absolutely stunning. Yeah, nice part That's of the world. why I like attributing that in my Calling Me Home song as well. It's sort of, I still have a lot of friends and family down there and I did a lot, most of my primary school there and then came to the Territory for the high school years. <laughs> and so what was it like growing up in Darwin, you know, from the age uh, of nine? I loved it. I think um, I have a very adventurous family. We're very outdoorsy. Um, I 
it was very polar worlds when I was a little girl living in New South Wales. I was all about dancing and drama and acting and all the little things girlies, girls like to do. And then suddenly I was the only girl my age in my circle of family. I was surrounded by about five other cousins that were my age that were boys. And all of them, suddenly it was about fishing and hunting and camping and, <laughs> and, and became, yeah. you know, it was sport. We all were all into volleyball. So we're playing volleyball every night of the week. So my world just suddenly wasn't about the, the pretty little performer anymore. It became, no, I want to go fishing, I want to go hunting. It was like our, as soon as we all got licenses, it was like, let's go and get our cars bogged. <laughs> but I think singing, singing still stuck. I, I don't, I just couldn't leave that behind. But, um, but yeah, it became a very, um, very polarizing lifestyle. <laughs> mm. I, I'd like to, um, discuss the current situation and I guess the entertainment industry. But just before I do, tell me um, how, how have things progressed in, in the music business in, in Darwin since you grew up and obviously got into the scene? You, you obviously went away to, to study and what have you, but how, how has it evolved in, in your time? I think I, I think Max has probably got a bit more insight to this. Me personally, before I moved into state, I had just started appearing in pubs and venues. I was very new. I was lucky. I joined. Um, I got approached to a, to join a band called Cold Sweat, and we used to do the Ducks Nuts and the the Hub, and we used to do the circuits. And it was my first time that someone had given me a chance since I'd left high school. So at the time, there was really no. No one really showing me how to transition from high school music into the real world of music. And that's, I try to do that with, I teach singing and I try to do that with my high school students is show them a bit of a pathway. But for me, there wasn't, it was sort of like, you've got to get real, you've got to get a real job. Music isn't a, isn't a real thing. It's just a passion. So I actually went and studied land conservation and management and was going to be a park ranger. <laughs> wow. I, I ended up teaching singing at, anyway and then um, just felt like there was always that thing missing. So mm. I um, managed to find my way into this amazing band, these musicians who are just next level and they gave me a chance and I learned my feet um, while I was working with them and they're kind of nurturing me and learned how to create an audience and, and work with an audience and I was quite young. I was probably about 22, 23 at the time and um, the band broke up and I thought, well, I need to go and study this if I'm going to take this seriously and have this as a real career. I, I want to have longevity in the industry. So I was kind of really only on the scene for about a year and a half before I'd left and then I came back and obviously I'd gotten to know people like Max and a few other, a few other of our um, very close-knit music family up here over the years. I'd come back mm. and um, gatecrash their gigs. <laughs> Max would always let me off on stage to have a sing so he, he knew Drag some of the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm really grateful to you for that because it, oh, it allowed me to, to feel like I had something to come home to. It made me feel like I was still a part of my territory family and I didn't know these guys very well. I, we knew each other through the drummer that I was working with at the time and um, to be developing a relationship with that on the side while I was while I was away and keeping up with with what was going on and I think now um, I think things have changed things have changed it used to be very band focused up here we used to have a lot of band gigs whereas now it's mainly focused on solo and duo gigs and I think that's um, that's 
a result of the way the economy has gone. Is that pretty fair to say? Absolutely. So that's kind of been my experience. I mean, Max, Max has been here. How long have you been gigging here? Forever. About 20 million years ago. <laughs> and, uh, I've been, been in the Territory for 15 years and uh, it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, you, you can see uh, that there used to be a hell of a lot of bands up here uh, performing up, up and down Mitchell Street and, uh, and Smith Street. And, and uh, there's certainly been a bit of a decline, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely economical, uh, the reason why it has had a bit of a decline. But, uh, you know, there's still a few bands about in town yep. and but there's mainly a lot of uh, solo artists and duos and stuff that uh, that perform so mm. so uh, i don't know about you guys but i, I noticed um a real change as you describe uh, max i um i went away in 2008 for a couple of years overseas and um leon probably hasn't told you this beforehand but i, I uh, own an entertainment company in darwin we have DJs and jukeboxes and things like that. And when I got back after the GFC, the world had changed for us because people's budgets had changed and, you know, they went from booking DJs for five, six, seven hours beforehand, which, you know, had a certain value to now preferring to book a jukebox, which is probably half that price. Um, so it probably makes total sense what you say they were booking full bands before and, and now it's more duo and, and solo artist focused. Um, it's, it's sad in many ways to see the decline of the city from that point of view because there's less places for people to play and therefore less people playing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you said you, you went, uh, you, you went uh, interstate to study, um, right? Uh, yes. uh, where was that exactly? I went to a place called Armadale in New York. <laughs> no wonder you were homesick. <laughs> it's like, so you, guys have, you guys obviously know Armadale. No, we yeah. just know it's colder than a mother-in-law's kiss. That's all we know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I lived in Mudgee for a while, so I, I know the area quite well. Well, see, Armadale is, I, yeah, I didn't realise until I was moving that Armadale is one of the coldest places in Australia to be because it's the highest <laughs> town or something in australia yep. and i again you you forget how cold something can be when you live up here you just forget that yes you know and i think again <laughs> i had childhood memories of fireplaces and, <laughs> and homemade yeah, yeah, yeah. things that mum would do cute little things like that and i i wasn't prepared for minus degrees a lot of the time in armadale and, and not not getting warm and not seeing my limbs and, <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny though because it made me really like every time i'd come home i was just dying for it to be the wet season and suddenly i, I was quite happy to be sweating which is not something we would normally say in the territory but i was quite mm. happy to be like oh my gosh there's perspiration <laughs> 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 i get it i get it i think armadale I think I'm correct in saying this. If it wasn't Armadale, it was a town close by. Years and years ago, it was declared as the coldest town on average in New South Wales. It's and Gaira. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Wherever it was, it had, you know, population, welcome to such and such, population so many, average temperature, whatever it was. And <laughs> somebody put a little sign at the bottom that said, bring on global warming. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 
work somewhere there. Yeah, so I think the attraction was that it was next to the Tamworth. So being the country music fan and um, one of the musos that I was gigging with up in Darwin, he's like a big brother. Him and his family were moving to Inverell, which was next door to Armadale. So, mm. and Armadale had a university that was looking into for a while. So it was just funny how things kind of circled around and, and fell into place and I ended up, yeah, going to the University of New England down there and, yeah. And then was just homesick, pretty much. <laughs> well, the territory does that. That's um, uh, you're probably not aware, but I'm sitting in Victoria talking to you today, and uh, <laughs> I, I said yesterday to Leon that my wife is asking me when I'm getting on a plane, and <laughs> you, it's very true. You you think of the cold weather and the open fire as this romantic beautiful setting and as my back and knees seize up each night I think to myself I'll take a little bit of sweating in October yeah. I'm quite happy for that yeah absolutely absolutely so sometimes you're just not prepared like I think Armadale is just that next level of culture like I spent some time I've got family and rallies all on the, on the coast of New South Wales but um, Armadale is a different culture old so you, you can wear three layers of clothes and still not be warm and it was um but I mean there's a lot that I owe owe to that university and owe to that town I've still got friends there that became family and you know you learn what you're made of <laughs> and you learn um you know I became a much better singer a much better performer a better well-rounded musician and there's a lot that I owe there which is why I try to bring that around in my song calling me home but the territory is still the place that will always pull at my soul and will always be my home so and so that song uh, that you wrote, um, Calling Me Home, it, you, you wrote that when you, uh, and look, I, I'm a Gumby when it comes to all these sort of things, I, you know, I sort of pardon my, my, my naivety and ignorance. Did, did you just write that, uh, when you say you wrote it with Gina Jeffries, what did you write and what did she write? How does it well, work? it's funny. I came to her. So when I when I transitioned, moved over to the Central Coast and I was trying to think, I actually had, started to write this while I was still in Armadale. So it was probably a good maybe six months before I'd, I even met with Gina again. And um, I had a few tunes in my head. I love Irish music. So I love Irish folk mm. music. And I was listening to my favourite, one of my favourite singers is Cara Dillon. And I wanted to pull from the colours and textures that she used. But, and I just had, I still had this overwhelming feeling of, of being homesick and, and feeling a bit lonely and homesick and wanting to use the colours that I'd heard in their songs to create something really special um, for my own experiences. And I think I kind of had some chords going around in my head, a bit of a chord progression, but I had put down some lyrics. And But at the time, the thing that I loved about working with Gina is she kind of taught me how to be a little bit more colourful with my lyric writing. So... I never, I've, I've never wanted to be a singer that sings pretty things for the sake of singing pretty things. I've always wanted to have, to say things how they are, to have a bit of depth, to have something that's easy to understand, but try not to be too um, obvious about it at the same time. But I didn't want to be airy fairy and things like that. So I wrote, was writing very literally. I think even though it was still creative and colours, it was still very literal. Like I think I've even still got the old words. I kept all my old, the old ways that I'd written them and it was sort of like I want to see, I want to see that sun that sinks down into the water or, you know. So there was just all these things I was imagining, everything that I missed about home over the years and, and what 
what is the territory versus what is New South Wales. And so when you're on the east coast, you never see the sun sink over the water. It's a sunrise, and I'm definitely not a sunrise person. <laughs> <laughs> We're not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a night owl. St- maybe still up at sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably. Probably going to bed at sunrise after a gig. Yeah. Um, so there were things like that and being warm all the time or, you know, having the opportunity. There were plenty of beautiful places in New South Wales to escape to. I'm a very outdoorsy person, but it was always cold when I got out of the car. So not having somewhere like Kakadu right on your doorstep to just run out and just go and stand on the top of Ubeer and breathe and, you know, recollect yourself. So all these little things that I was missing that that kind of make me feel human and whole were what were up on the other end of the country. So I'd written all these lyrics down, but I think when I went to Gina, she just kind of allowed me to go, look, let's be a little bit more expressive. You don't have to be airy-fairy or or pretty or cliche, but let's add some colours and some extra textures. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is it? So that line, I want to see the sun that sinks down into the water, became I want to see the golden sun sink into the water. Or and the technicolored, the technicolored final curtain of the day. Like she just came out with all these extra colours and and visual things that I could see, but I didn't I didn't know that that's how I could have worded it. And suddenly it was like this is it was it was almost meant to be working with her. And there was another girl, Max Jackson, who was a bit of like an apprentice to Gina. And the three of us wrote these songs. Max came out. I had the chord structure. She just came out with some of the melody for the chorus. And it was like this song evolved that was exactly how I wanted it to be. And yet I, I didn't even have the vocabulary in my head for some of it. So um, working with Max and Gina, they captured the essence of who I wanted to be as a writer and exactly what I wanted to say and showed me how to and pretty much just drew it out of me. <laughs> and I, like I've become a much a much better singer-songwriter from that experience, but I've allowed myself to relax and, and just mm. enjoy being the creative side rather than worrying about, you know, how it comes across and things like that. <laughs> and Leon, for a self-described Gumby, um, <laughs> that was actually a bloody good question, mate. Well done. <laughs> really good question. Really good question. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to throw you... Uh, off kilter a little bit here but um there'd be no point having um uh, musicians on the show uh without getting them to work so (laughs) why don't we hear another song guys sure well when we would do should we do the frog one so this was the second song that i released and i think i chose this one to do now just off the top of my head because of what we've been speaking about so just saying all these things that I missed about home or didn't realize and I think like while I was away the even the waterfront area wasn't there so every time I was coming home I was watching that gradually build and and get born essentially Mm. and um and there was one thing I remember being home in the wet season and my family we have a property out at Humpty Doo and that's kind of that's been home when I come back and um, I was sitting out there and it's the wet season and the sun, you know, sun's going down and getting these late afternoon storms with the big grey skies and the bright green glass and and suddenly the whole sky just is this echo of the green tree frogs calling and the crickets and all the, you know, all the sounds of the wildlife mm. that just come to life because the rain is about to come. And um, I was sitting there in the backyard and just thinking, wow, this is 
this is what my home sounds like. This is what the territory sounds like. This is what my backyard, this is the sound that I missed that I didn't know that I missed. And so then when, you know, when I would go home there, I just think, wow, I just can't wait to hear that again. I can't wait to see my friends and see my little green tree frog and the <laughs> geckos and the, everything that makes us unique up here. So, mm. so my second release was Nature's Lullaby. So we might do that one, I reckon. Beautiful. Takes me right back, right back to when I did nothing but your beautiful noise, and you harmonize like a symphony. I close my eyes, sing me to sleep.
Beautiful. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> now, did you want to ask a question about the music industry, Pete? Is that where you were going with this? Yeah. So, um, as we touched on before, of course, guys, the, the world's changed a bit in the last month or so. And I guess one of the industries that, that has been really heavily hit, um, you know, not unexpectedly because of the, um, the sorts of venues in which entertainment people play, um, but I think it snuck up on everyone. How are you guys dealing with it? You know, obviously I'm assuming you're not playing gigs at the moment, but how are you dealing with the lull? I think, um, well, my personal my personal experience have been things have been really frantic behind the scenes because all of a sudden your income's gone, which is so many other so many people, all the different industries. Um, but things like oh, you know, I was, you know, might be a bit of an overshare, but you know, behind in some of my accounts, trying to sort out. I think especially the first couple of weeks, the information was changing every hour, and you're like, oh, I've got to. You know, you're, they're making you feel like you're panicking, like you've got to suddenly apply for Centrelink. Suddenly, then JobKeeper came out, and then there's mm. all these things that you got to keep on top with. And then suddenly, because I teach singing and, and music, and suddenly that within a within a couple of days had to be changed to an online platform. So trying to get my head around this new way of teaching, and then this new, and then behind the scenes you're panicking financially, and then and then you've you know, lost all the gigs that you had coming up mm. and, and things like that. I think it's all, in some ways, though, it's in some ways it is it's a double-edged sword because I think at the moment I probably wouldn't cope with gigging all the time while trying to keep up as well. So having that, having that break and not having to perform all the time and every day while your head and, you know, your mental health isn't great and your head's trying to keep up with all the new information and the things you've got to sort out behind the scenes and I'm, you know, live, moving in with family now and, and so there's so many changes that happen so quickly. Um, but, you know, we, we have been keeping up with some of the live stuff. Max has been doing live gigs what, every day. I've been, I've been streaming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was doing, I was doing it about... Six days a week, and then yeah. uh, and I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> I should be recording some stuff. So I started recording three days a week, and then doing uh, live streaming Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So uh, just trying to do different stuff every day that I do something. So I was going to ask that. Um, we we've talked to um, several other guests in recent weeks talking about that. You know, we're predicting there's either going to be a baby boom or a divorce boom uh, <laughs> at the back of this, but. You know, for, for people in creative spheres, um, has it led to more creativity for you guys, more writing, more recording, that sort of stuff? It definitely has for Max. Yeah, bit, well, I've been uh, catching up on backlog of, of writing that I've been <laughs> doing over the last yeah. God knows how many years because, you know, when you're performing uh, six nights a week, then you, your voice isn't conducive to a great recording mm. session that day uh, the next day do you know what i mean so especially with a late night and then you know whatever else you do the next days yep so uh so it's been it's been a good catch-up on all that sort of stuff and and yeah there's been a bit of writing as well and mel and i are going to write some stuff yes. as well so which yeah. we've been threatening to do for a long time <laughs> so. no, it'll be really good and I, I think, think like, sorry you go i was just going to say i think most industries are um i guess taking this pause to to do those things you know like oh we're meant to be recording for the last year two years three years never got around to it but if there's any positives to come out of it that that you know for you guys that's likely to be one yeah, yeah. absolutely 
Mm. Also, I think, uh, you know, you don't realise how many people uh, that are around the world that want to hear a live gig and, uh, you know, you get tagged in or you get shared around and stuff and it's all of a sudden you've got a whole new audience, you know. So mm. We did might a... Might have to um, keep it going. <laughs> we did a live. We did a um, Darwin live gig with Root Creative and they had their set up and we, did, we kicked it off and I think that night we had 15,000 viewers. Wow. I know I wouldn't normally get that. An average mm. <laughs> 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 ah, what else? So, so you know that was like um that was kind of cool. We were like, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there listening and tuning in, which normally we don't get the time to do online stuff because we're you know pumping out the gigs, max gigs, pretty much every day normally, and mm. so you don't have time to spend on online with other audiences or connect with people so that there, there is definitely going to be some good and i think it's also helping to legitimize our industry because people are starting to mm. people taking things higher up the chain with politicians on legitimizing the music industry so i think that it's, it's a little bit stressful behind the scenes um for me personally at the moment but like i think it'll it, there's going to be some um amazing good things come out of it and i'm looking forward to that mm. So how, uh, um, how how do you how do you make money uh, as a musician like besides live gigs? <laughs> <laughs> that's simple. Um, <laughs> I get by with a bit of teaching. Yeah, um, that's why I made sure. That's why that was the main reason why I wanted to study music so I could have that degree behind me. So I mean, um, so I think I still teach. Um, I think now it, it's sort of like. We're going to have to start getting creative with how we make money on the other side of that. I mean, technically, if you're big enough, you can earn money from royalties. I, I had a royalty check of $1.50 come through the other side. <laughs> the start of many. <laughs> the start of many. I was going, actually, I've been going back through, like, yeah, there's been a few deposits of $1.50 over the years. $4.50 was my highest royalty check. Which, which royalty. begs the question, what... what What's the dollar fifty from? Like, what, what, what ended up being your cut? I think that was probably from like a collection of platforms like um, iTunes and Google Play and all that mm. stuff. So yeah, I think it. I think it was just a, a general. I think it's through APRA. So when people go through them, I don't know how it works. I'm like, yeah. So they, they made four and a half million dollars and you made a dollar fifty. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> First dollar fifty ever made though. That means probably, that means probably like fifteen people bought that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so um, what what are your plans uh, for the future? I mean, obviously you and Max are going to be uh, collaborating a little bit there, but uh, and you've got an album that may come out at some point based on the material you've written. Yeah, I think it's hard to know what we can do and what we can't do at the moment. I think um, this year I wanted to re-release Calling Me Home was was the plan. Um, It's kind of hard now not really having that income to be able to put towards what you were going to do. So we made, I made um, three music videos that went on the country music channel over the last couple of years and Calling Me Home was the third one that was going to hopefully be released this year. Um, so that was a re-release of the earlier one because um, it's five years old this year. So I'm five wow. years as an original artist as of mm. this year in August. So I wanted to re-release it, put the territory on the map again. And the other two songs that we put out, that I put out, um, were a little bit more commercial country um, in order to target a slightly higher up, 
higher up the chain audience and, and now I wanted to bring it back around to a bit more of my natural down-to-earth style and just remind everyone what what I'm about with my music and my songs and, and reiterate Calling Me Home is, is one of the key songs in my repertoire. So that's kind of on hold at the moment. There's a lot of things on hold. I was probably, still probably a fair way away from an album. There's probably still about six songs left to record and it gets a little bit expensive and there's a lot of promo work that goes on behind the scenes a lot more than probably people would realise. It becomes more than a full-time job. <laughs> Just mm. trying to promote it and get everything visually happening for, around it and making sure it gets on all the right platforms at the right time. And um, So I think at the moment I'm with this sudden shift, I kind of just going to have a year to um, just work on my um, my content behind the scenes and, and start thinking about what I want to achieve maybe over the next few years and just see what does end up being possible by the end of the year. I'm really not. It's kind of this has put a bit of a pin in a lot of things. Mm. <laughs> so, but doing stuff behind the scenes with Max, um, Max will be really cool and other art, local artists because we're all, we're all locked up here in the Territory and that's mm. not a bad thing at all. We live in paradise and there's some really good musos up here and really good sound crews and I think over the next few months it might be cool to just go hey let's let's try doing this now let's try doing a private concert let's try doing this kind of setup let's we've got to start thinking differently again and mm. um I think a few, few of us will rally and get a little bit creative with it so do you think the online space has um you know, given you the opportunity that say back in the day wouldn't have been possible. I mean, the, the traditional route, if you want to call it that, was, you know, you, you got signed to a label and the label drove creativity and, and sort of drove the agenda. But, you know, I, I look at artists like Tones and I, for example, and I mean, Bieber, once upon a time, there's, you've got this opportunity now with the online space. And the fact that you said that 15,000 people turned up to your online gig the other day probably answers my question. But, um, you know, with, with, with the talent and the content, you, you've got so many spaces you can now promote that um, yourselves. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think the country music community is, is slightly different as well. Like, yes, we can we get more viewers yes we can get more exposure unfortunately exposure doesn't generate any income so that's Mm -hmm. unless you really hit the million dollar streams or the you know things like that whereas i think the old days especially in the country scene like even you know having conversations with people like jenny jeffries that um you know back in the day they would make they could make their money from album sales they could make their money Mm. from their merchandise they made their money from touring they made their money from all these things whereas now it's very single focused. You you put one single out. It's if it's not on Spotify, you're even an artist, and you don't get paid from Spotify. Like you don't get paid from mm. from all those different platforms. People, you know, you could spend. I know that some of my songs have spent like ten thousands of dollars on one song, and to get ten cents back. But yeah, so you kind of have to shift. So financially, it, it's shifted it's made things harder for artists but on the other end of the spectrum we do we can connect with more people at one time um so and i guess you 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 don't really want to be i guess we're not really in this day and age you're not really wanting to be the songwriter or the artist that's hoping to to win their mansion or their million dollar (laughs) view anymore like you you know there is Mm -hmm. that level of fame still but i think if if you don't really have a purpose with what you want to achieve with that music, you're 
it, it's kind of it's hard to um, it's hard to justify spending that amount of money on something that you you're not sure is is even going to like relate to people. I think that's kind of my, I'm probably wording this really badly, but just having like a that's I think I'd try to if I'm gonna in, like put all this money into something, I, I want it to to be of benefit to people, and I want to connect with people through it. And I think that's where the online platform does come in. It's not about me trying to earn that money back. That doesn't happen. So mm. it's about building relationships with helps build your brand, and you you use your business on the other side of it, like your cover gigs or your your teaching and, and things like that. Yeah, so that that's something I, I I'm interested in because uh, you know having played with a lot of musicians over the years, um, you know, I, I, back in the day when I first started DJing in Melbourne, I'd work with a lot of sort of the the, the top cover bands or what they used to call corporate bands at the time. And what was interesting was that you'd finish up the gig and you'd all go and have a drink and a chat sort of afterwards. And, you know, very few of them wanted a life of playing covers. Um, yeah. They all had their aspirations for being an original, or, you know, being being broken as an original artist. You know, what what percentage of your gig time is covers versus your original stuff? And is it soul-destroying or is it just it's what pays the bills? I I always try to throw a few originals in, but if I feel like it suits the audience so depending on the time of day the the crowd the venue what type of song i would do like i probably wouldn't do calling me home right in the middle of a party set but i have my have, have played my little happy paradise party yeah. tune or something because it's a song that i wrote that gets people to sing along with me um otherwise i mean like we both we both work in the cover scene and i'm I actually don't hate it. I actually mm. don't mind singing because we, we get to sing some of our favourite songs. And, yeah, sometimes we get stuck with some songs that are requested every night. Yeah. Welcome and to my world, baby. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, but at the end of the day, like, that's that's not a horrible job. Yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> like, not. Um, at the end of the day. There's worse jobs. Yeah, there is, <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, it's the smile that you bring to that person's face. Like, sometimes there's throwaway songs that I think, oh, you know, sometimes I might even be half tuning out. But I'm still thinking about something else. But it's mostly come up to the front and start crying yeah. and holding yep. my hand. So then I've just created creating memories for people. Yep. And I don't think that's a job that you know I I'm quite happily being the in the party covers band and the duo thing. And it's I've seen that by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. It's beautiful. I, I was DJing one night in a club in Melbourne and. Um, this suitably Melbourne person came up to me and said, oh, what's, what's this crap? Why are you playing this? And I turned around to him and said, mate, I said, one, this song was requested by someone, and two, you might not like it, but this could well be someone else's favourite song. Yeah. I said, don't tell me what you don't want, just tell me what you do want. And he goes, oh, good point. Can I have such and such? I said, yep. And that's, that's how I think of music. I might not like ABBA's Dancing Queen, but I'm going to play it at every wedding I'm at and it'll yeah. get a full dance floor every time. So who am I to judge? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, just listening to all of this, you know, I'm thinking how hard you work for your craft. Uh, you know, and I could just walk outside right now and my boys will be on uh, the computer either playing or watching someone play Fortnite. Uh, <laughs> And, and I can I almost assure you, based on what they've told me, that the person who is playing Fortnite, recording it, 
and uploading it to YouTube uh, would be making millions a year. Like, what is wrong with this picture, Pete? <laughs> yeah, it, it's something that's not lost on me. Yeah. So I saw last night on the television, because the AFL players are bored at home, they've now started an AFL players online gaming league and the fans who normally go and watch footy games sit home and watch these idiots play Fortnite and whatever other stupid games they play. It's, it's beyond me. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it, you know, I joked earlier about the fact that you're not, you're not, uh, you're not up for the sunset as in waking up, but you'll still be up. You know, the amount of nights you spend on, on the road getting to a gig or from a gig or, um, this is a bit self-indulgent to say this, but I remember um, one of my favourite songs of all time is um, Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive. Oh, absolutely. Oh, great song. Yeah. Just because, you know, I might have three or four gigs booked on a weekend and, Max, you said you work six nights a week and don't tell me you don't wake up some days and feel like shit and the last thing you want to do is go and work and you know that ex-pub doesn't care, They you're paid from eight o'clock so you'll be there at eight o'clock and you could have a migraine or the flu or COVID-19 or whatever it is <laughs> and it's you know on a, on a micro scale because they're playing in front of you know 80,000 seat stadiums but on a micro scale that's that they don't care whether you're there or not just play and be there dead or alive yep yep Absolutely, absolutely, mm. and yeah, some like you know, I think there's some venues that that um, do it really well. I think there's some venues that really value having that person, and they'll work really well with you and make you feel comfortable and do whatever they can to create mm. a hospitable environment for you. And they really value what you bring to the audience and to the crowd. And then there's some there's some venues where they, it's not that you know they just don't have the awareness. Some sometimes yeah. it, it's nothing bad or horrible that they do on purpose i just think it, it's hard to get the awareness out that people don't realize that when you're and if you're actually know how to entertain well it requires a certain level of energy for you to have to mm. be able to bring that vibe no matter what's going on in the back of your head or in mm. your own life you, you you can't bring that to the stage and you you have to raise above you have to rise above it and um and try to make other people happy and be singing along and, and partying and that's it's not always the it's not like rocking up to work and you know i'm just gonna like do my thing and take mm. a bit today you just can't afford to be that i i had a dj that used to work for me and he he could be accused of uh exactly that not looking you know overly happy so i used to train him before every gig the last thing i used to say to him was and what are we going to do tonight and he'd look at me and say, I'm going to pretend like I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So, Pete, what do you play? So I didn't know you were a muso. No, look, I'm not a muso. I'm a DJ. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so I, I started out years and years ago um, doing parties and working for a company in, in Melbourne. And I decided a year or two after that that I could probably do it myself and make four times as much money that I was getting working for someone else. So yeah. I did and it, it took me on this wonderful journey that eventually had me end up in Darwin because I crossed over from DJing into commercial radio and yeah. that's initially what took me to Darwin. But um, I left the radio business, but Darwin just uh, 
got under my skin as as uh, calling me home beautifully articulates. Yeah, yeah, it does that. Oh, it does, it does. And I do remember arriving in Darwin myself, uh, uh, Melanie, and and uh, because I was born in Malaysia, which is a tropical country, yeah. uh, and I grew up in Perth, um, I just remember the day I drove into Darwin with my best friend uh, and I saw a coconut tree, I said, I was home. Uh, there's just something about the tropics that, uh, you know, you just can't replicate down south, can you? No. Absolutely not. I think it might be like, you know, again, it, I think the weather tends to create a bit more of a, a laid-back atmosphere. Or, you know, I think it kind of keeps us all humble. <laughs> it keeps yep. us all in a bit of a, a slower pace and, a you know, we, you can look as nice as you want, but we're all going to sweat the same way. <laughs> 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 exactly. Yeah, well, the Asians particularly love Darwin um, because it just reminds them so much of, of home, um, you know, and I was watching uh, Jimmy Shu. I don't know if you know Jimmy Shu. He's a, um, he owns the Hanuman restaurant in Darwin yeah. and he's a bit of a, of a food celebrity as well. Yeah. So he's, he's on SBS at the moment, SBS Food, uh, doing a, a whole thing on territory food. And I was watching it yesterday uh, and um, it was so interesting the people he was talking to. He was talking to a Cambodian lady, then he was talking to a lady from Sri Lanka and then um, I can't remember where the third lady was from. Uh, But, you know, all these people have come from these different countries, uh, some as refugees, uh, and they come to Darwin and the first thing they realise is, wow, we can actually grow the same veggies here that we have back home. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know? It influences everything. It influences our communities, our cultures, because then we get all this amazing food that they would normally cook authentically at home because they can grow it all here. So then it filters down and becomes part of our way of life. We would be not like the, all of our markets are just part of the territory, <laughs> part mm-hmm. of the territory daily Absolutely. thing. <laughs> Everyone has their favourite Luxor place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but can you tell me, what, what, uh, just out of interest, which one's yours, Max? Yati's Luxor at oh! Marat Markets. <laughs> it's a Malaysian Luxor. Max, you have just gone to the top of the charts, mate. You've hit the jackpot, my friend. <laughs> because not many people would say that. And in my view, as a person, sorry, (laughs) they haven't got taste. (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, but uh, as as someone who came from the country that invented laksa or was born from the country that invented laksa, (laughs) that is the closest thing that you will get to uh, a damn good laksa, you know. Having said that, uh, what's your second favourite laksa place? Um, Oh, God, there's chow. Chow's quite good. Um, Oh. Rendezvous was pretty good. Rendezvous right. There's, there's quite a few. Deck Bar's got the good luck. Deck Bar's what I was going to say. Mm. The Deck Bar luxes. Deck, Deck Bar and Chow are, are the same. Yes, yes. Same owner, so, you know, uh, yeah. same sort of recipe. But um, I, I lived in Malaysia for a while, and, uh, and uh, I think that's why I love it here as well. And <laughs> appeals to me. Yeah. <laughs> That clearly. What about you, Mel? Do you uh, do you drink? I uh, would drink. Do you eat like that? <laughs> do I drink like that? <laughs> um, no, I do. I do. I'm probably not as big of a connoisseur as Max. Um, right. But I do enjoy getting a fresh laksa at the prep markets on a Saturday morning and my mango smoothie and mm-hmm. some pad thai and yeah, 
What's my have you played them at the prep markets at all? No, I haven't actually. I haven't actually um, tapped into some of these markets. But uh, again, it's not something that I would be averse to. I wouldn't <laughs> mind. But I think it's just usually where gigging most nights of the week you tend to not again be up early well i think if the chief minister wants his job in august he's going to have to open up those markets pretty soon because <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. people are dying for their luxes from prep markets yes hey max um a question for you and, and mel you might have an opinion on this as well but i might be being a little bit more kind on your age um the, the, the transition from uh, pubs and clubs and casinos that were uh, full of smokers uh, to the non-smoking age, H- how's that been from a singer's perspective but just in general with not having to wake up every Sunday and wash all your clothes and wash the hair and the whole bit? <laughs> it's, uh, it's fantastic. I used, that's the one thing I was, used to hate, used to get home from. This guitar was actually a different colour. <laughs> wow! Not it even, was white. Not no, I, I know. I'm sure like it was a lighter color yeah. than it is now, and uh, it's actually tarnished from the from the yeah. smoke from pubs and clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel a hell of a lot healthier now, going and singing in a pub and knowing that there's not going to be smoke. Yeah, filling the room and my lungs, and you know, and waking up the next day and I don't cough my guts up. You know. So. Yeah. And it's such an obvious thing too because when we are at some of these outdoor venues and there's like a the smoker section over this side, the s- s- smallest whiff of cigarette that yeah. comes through, it's, like, yes. it's very polarising like, to your senses and you're like, oh, there's cigarettes now there again. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There must be a dirty rogue smoker in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think from a singing point of view, it, it must make a difference, particularly if you're playing you know, so many nights a week because, um, you know, it, it, it just used to take its toll. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you, you sort of, um, you certainly do notice it because uh, I don't think I would have been able to do 10 gigs a week at one stage if um, the pubs were still uh, smoking venues, you know. So. Mm. Even his voice was higher. My voice was, <laughs> Yeah. He used to sing like like the Bee Gees. Now now more Kenny Rogers or uh, (laughs) Well, uh, I I have to say it's been really enjoyable having your having you both on. Uh, It's been it's been a while in the making, and uh, it's it's just uh, just wonderful to have some some musicians on the podcast for the first time. Oh, thank you. It's an honour to be here and to be asked. This is, yeah, this is an awesome experience for us and just getting to share our stories as well. Yeah, it's a real honour. Well, cheers, Mel, and, and cheers, Max. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, if you wouldn't mind taking us out with, um, with your song, Drive Slow, we'd, we'd love to hear another one. Sure. This was a song that I released last year and you can, the video clip is up on YouTube. It was on the Country Music Channel. And um, I, with this music video, I wanted to put all the things I love about the Territory on this clip. So we went, I took this film crew, they came up from New South Wales, they, they're called the Filmery and they make video clips for all the big names in the country music scene. Um, and so I brought them up to the Territory and I, we took them out bush for a week and um, got places like Nipmulut Gorge and um, Mataranka and um, Dundee and a few of our favourite local spots. So... Um, 
I love this video clip and I, I love this song. And it's about taking your time to get to know someone, maybe a new love interest, but doing that on the backdrop of the amazing things that are just outside your backyard. So this is Drive Slow. If we leave now, we can beat the heat. It's a hundred miles from here at least. The morning sunrise in my rear view. My morning tired eyes looking at you. You could take the wheel, maybe I'll fall asleep. We could take all day, don't have to hurry. We could drive
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.